From the sandy beaches of Hawaii comes a wave of God's love and the challenge to go deeper. Paddle out with us and experience the thrills of the radical plan God has for your life. It's Deep Adventure Radio with your adventure guide, Bear Wozniak. Aloha and welcome back to Deep Adventure Radio. I'm your adventure guide, Bear Wozniak. Uh, We're so thrilled today. We have a John Michael Talbot as our guest. I can't even believe that I get to live this life where I get to interview people like that. Someone that my mother loved dearly. We used to listen to his music. Whenever we would uh, have kind of a special family dinner, she would always put John Michael Talbot's um, music on and just, you know, resonated with her soul and and kind of brought us to that place of quietness and peace. So we're so uh, happy to have John Michael as my adventure guide today. You know, I just went shopping for groceries and all my, you know, I have, you know, how men are. We want to be able to get all the groceries uh, into the house at the same time. We don't want to have to carry, you know, go, go make multiple trips. We use all those plastic bags and our hands are reaching in and we've got the eggs and we got the milk and maybe a bottle of wine. We've got everything, you know, uh, bread that's being crushed, but we're going to make it all the way in uh, without having any, uh, any, having to make two trips. So I'm coming to the door and I had thought I had locked the, unlocked the door, and I get to the door, and I can't open it. I could have maybe reached in with my hands and kind of undone the door and gotten into the house, but no, I needed to have a key to get in that door. And so I had a decision to make. Was I going to put down all of these groceries, and could I fidget into my pocket maybe and get the key out and maybe get, that in the, get it in the door lock and maybe perhaps somehow make it in without dropping it and putting everything down? The fact is, I had to let... All of those packages down, all of the, all of the package. I, I put them on the floor next to the door very carefully, one thing at a time, then reached in my pocket and jiggled with the door and walked in. Well, this is part of the lesson that we have to learn in our Christian walk. God wants us to let go of things. God wants us to detach from anything that's created and only desire him. So, when you get down to it, what is everything that is created? Well, only God, the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit are eternal. So that means that we need to prefer God to everything, every person, our mothers, our fathers, our jobs, our cars, our dog. Everything needs to come second. We need to lay all that down and learn to desire only God. There comes a time when we first know the Lord, we really love God for how great he makes us feel. It's so cool. You give your life to the Lord and and you have like a, a new companion, a new friend, and, and, and sometimes you feel really great. He blesses you with his presence. And and you kind of are loving God. You don't, you don't realize it at the time, but you're really kind of loving God for what he does for you. They say that's kind of sometimes why people fall in love. It's not so much that they fall in love with the other person, but it's just how great that person makes them feel when they're around them. You know, maybe they affirm them or just make them feel special, but it's, they love, people love each other sometimes because how great that other person makes them feel. And that's where we are kind of in our initial stages with God. We love God for what he does for him. We love God for our sake. And we can do that with other people. We can love our children for our sake, you know, that we cling to our children. There are children, and I'm being good to them, and I'm loving them, but it's really because it makes me feel good. And we kind of, for sure, kind of love ourselves for our sake. But there comes a time when we learn to put all those things down that we're carrying, and we learn to love God for his sake, which is a whole different thing. That means we love God not for what he does for us, not because he's a spiritual vending machine, 
not because of how he makes us feel or, or the good things that he gives us, but we just love God because, because he is love, because God is all goodness. And we love, begin to love God for his sake. That changes everything. Because then when we're in line someplace and we're trying to hurry and we're in a big hurry and there's someone else there that uh, is going to get there just a little bit behind us, we might pause and let them get in line first. It's a kind of a big thing, this whole who gets in line first thing, I think, in our lives. I think it's, it's a real, real teller of where our hearts are. And when we let that other person go first, we might be loving them for their sake. Or maybe we're living them, loving them really for God's sake. God, I'm doing this for you because I know you love this person. And eventually, when we forget enough about ourselves because we're so in love with God, we can kind of really even love ourselves for God's sake. And so love is simply saying to God, I love you too. God loves us, and all we can do really is love him back. And we love him back by being good to, by, by loving him, by loving others for his sake, by loving ourselves for our sake, and for loving him for his sake. So we're really looking forward to talking with John Michael Talbot. I know that he's gone through these seasons of detachment. And uh, his, uh, his, his new book, Following the Ancient Way, or The Ancient Way, is just a, a great book about the early church fathers. So we're looking forward to talking to him. I want to invite you guys to go to my website, deepadventure.com, uh, you can go to visit, um, you can subscribe to our newsletters, you can buy my book, Deep in the Wave, A Surfing Guide to the Soul. It really has an, a, a powerful effect on people. Uh, almost no matter where they are in their lives, this book kind of reaches them. They kind of find their place in this book. And it's a great evangelistic tool, too. And also, you can support us by pushing the donate button. You can help our ministry out. We really need your help, and we really need your prayer. And then, of course, my, my sponsor on it, they've been my fitness, my uh, supplement sponsor f- uh, for many years. I'm in their Sports Hall of Fame and I, uh, and uh, you know for my surfing, and I just really believe in their products. And so now we've arranged for them. If you go to our website and you click Fitness to Witness, it'll go to their uh, earth-growing organic supplements. And uh, you can uh, purchase those there at a 10% discount. And then they, in turn, help the ministry. One of the things you really should look at is their... Uh, Alpha Brain, it's a great product. It's a nootropic for your brain to help your brain be healthy and function. So we'll be right back with John Michael Talbot. This is Bear Wozniak with Deep Adventure Radio. We'll be right back. Deep Adventure Radio, where the surf is always on. Deep Adventure Radio has challenged you to accept the wild adventure of God's will. Now go even deeper with Bear's best-selling book, Deep in the Wave, a surfing guide to the soul. In story after story, Bear takes us along as he paddles deep, surfing alongside whales and dolphins and avoiding killer sharks. Bear shares his experiences of the ocean in an intimate and exciting way. We share in his pain, healing through God, and the joy of finding that deep, intimate relationship with him. As the story unfolds, you'll see how surfing has become the metaphor for the journey toward intimacy with God. Deep in the Wave, a surfing guide to the soul will stir your own desire to go deeper into your faith. Order it today at deepadventure.com for your own faith journey or for someone who needs to go deeper. Deep in the Wave, a surfing guide to the soul by Bear Wozniak. Available at deepadventure.com. 
Back to Paradise and Deep Adventure Radio. Aloha and welcome back to Deep Adventure Radio. I'm your adventure guide, Bear Wozniak. We love to have adventurous people on our shows. We love to have people that have gone deep with the Lord. We love to have people that have stepped outside the box. And what I mean by that is people that just really desire to serve and to abandon themselves to God's will. We have someone uh, that I'm so happy to bring to you, John Michael Talbot, a musician, author. Uh, he has his own uh, uh, community in the mountains of uh, Arkansas. John Michael Talbot, welcome to Deep Adventure Radio. It's great to be with you, Bear. Uh, I like the idea of your program, thinking outside of the box. You know, the great saints uh, were often not accepted in their own time. Sometimes they were very popular, but they stirred up a little bit, a little bit of a ruckus. I'm thinking of guys like Bernadine of Siena, you know, who got in trouble with the holy name of Jesus. He was basically a Jesus gang to minister to the people on the streets of Siena, where the gangs were running rampant. And he put that together, and he got he got called into question because he did that, because nobody had ever seen that symbol of the holy name of Jesus before. So I like your idea. Keep going, man. Well, you know. You got to stay orthodox, but you're good. <laughs> yeah, you got to stay. Or- well, that's that was the thing, you know. Here's this guy, John Michael Talbot, uh, Mason Prophet, the uh, one of the original kind of country rock bands, and then the Talbot Brothers with your brother, and then oh yeah. yes, and now John Michael Talbot has become a Christian, and then wait, what? He became a Catholic. It kind of sent ripples through uh, through the whole uh, Jesus scene uh, back in those days. I was actually a, a charismatic Catholic, but. Um, you, you had a huge impact on my family. I mentioned to you earlier, my mother, uh, whenever the whole family would gather uh, for a big or special dinner, she would put uh, the, that album, The Last Supper. And it's such a, yeah. it's such a unique, uh, just such a unique uh, voice and a unique, um, it just really draws you uh, into the presence of the Lord. So it's such a privilege to have you on my show. You have a new book out called The Ancient Path. And it was shocking to me as I started to read through it how what a pivotal and important role the early church fathers played uh, in your journey uh, towards God. Yeah, I really believe that that the early church fathers are the key to reestablishing Christian unity. You know, here in the United States, there are 4,000 different autonomous denominations. Uh, This is certainly not what Martin Luther had in mind when when he... came forward with the Protestant Reformation, all he wanted to do was to do to work a reform, and it went bad, and it splintered the Church, and that splintering really went on steroids in the United States, and then it spread outward around the world. Now, diversity is a wonderful thing, but division, uh, the words for division in, 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 in Scripture, when you go back to the Greek, is schisma, where we get schism. Or uh, the other is the word heresy, which basically also means division or another version of the gospel. So uh, division is never a good thing. So what's happening is, you know, the, the scriptures ha- came out of a context. They didn't just drop down from heaven, you know, from on high. And, and, and you know, we, what happened was, the Lagos was made incarnate. The Word of God, the Lagos, or the Logos, as people some, sometimes call it, was incarnate, in carne, in red meat. Jesus is not the Word in pollo. <laughs> he's, 
He's in red meat, fully human, uh, complete flesh, and and then he gathered people. He didn't write a book. He gathered people, and he chose leaders, and then he poured out the Spirit upon them after they had lived with him and seen him die and rise and ascend to the Father. The Spirit was poured out, and it was from the context of the early church that the Scriptures came forward. So as a, as a non-Catholic, I had a great love for the authority of Scripture and the authority of God. But as I traveled around in the early days of Jesus movement, I realized that you know, people were really interpreting the Scripture in all kinds of different ways, sometimes very weird ways, sometimes very hurtful ways. And, and I said, there's got to be a way to find unity among all these people who are good people. Three things. They're good people. You know, uh, they have the Spirit of God, and they go to the Bible to try to figure out how do we follow Jesus. But they, they couldn't get together, and they still can't. So I said, in my young mind, I was 24, well, the, the authority of Scripture came out of the authority of the Church, both of which were established by the authority of God. So uh, I began to go back and read the early Church Fathers, Clement of Rome, Ignatius of Antioch, the Didache, uh, Irenaeus, Tertullian, St. Justin Martyr. Really, I focused on the what are called the anti-Nicene Fathers, or the really early ones. And I was utterly shocked there to find at least the primitive expression of what today we would call the Catholic faith. Now, you need to understand something. I didn't want to be a Catholic. I, I, you know, I didn't even like Catholics. I'm still kind of working on that one from time to time. <laughs> but uh, I, I uh, the Lord gave me a word. He says, John Michael, I want you to be a Catholic. She's my first church. I love her most dearly. She's been sick and nearly died, but I'm going to heal her and raise her to new life again. And I want you to be a part of her. So in 1977-78, I said, Amen. I sought out a Franciscan priest who became my spiritual father until the day he died. And I was received into the church in 1978, and the rest is history, so to speak. I, I, I was involved in the early days of the Jesus movement. Um, my band, Mason Prophet, was part of the first generation of the country rock movement in the United States back in 67, 68. So um, um, essentially, I became a Christian because I saw all the superstars that I always wanted to be like, and I found out that the people that I was trying to be like weren't very happy. So I started searching for God. And um, I said, God, who are you? He, she, or an it? I don't care. I just want to know. And... I had a little Bible that my dear grandmother had given me, and those red letters were jumping out, but I didn't really have that relationship with Christ, so I prayed every day for over a year, no answer, zip. I mean, I think a lot of people have that experience, but God was working on me, and after a year or so, I actually had an, a personal encounter with Jesus Christ, and so I got involved in the early days of the Jesus movement, and at that point, I met guys like Larry Norman, Randy Stonehill, um, you know, Randy Matthews, who was really one of the very, very first. Uh, Randy was uh, dating my sister, and they were hanging out with a group called the E-Band that later became Petra. Yeah. Um, so I got to know these folks, 
And I didn't know whether I wanted to get involved in Jesus music or not. We didn't call it Christian contemporary music. It was just Jesus music. And after I really, uh, Mason Prophet kind of broke up and went its own way, well, I, I you know, I said, why not? So I, I did a little, or a little demo on a boombox, submitted it to Billy Ray Hearn at Word Records. He had a record company called Murr. And he wanted me to do a record, but he says, I'm starting this new record company called Sparrow, which was a little company. There were five artists, 14 employees. And, you know, now it's the biggest Christian record company in the world. And I started and did something with Billy Ray. Did two records. They did pretty well. But when I became a Catholic, I thought, well, it's all over. You know, my career is over because I was kind of in a world that was not overtly or intentionally, but nonetheless implicitly anti-Catholic. And I did my swan song, The Lord's Supper, and and we played it for the record company. It was this charismatic setting of the Mass, and they said, how are we going to sell a Catholic Mass to a bunch of Southern Baptists? I said, I don't know. Just put it out. It's my last one anyway. You know, I'm done. They put it out, and in six months it had become the biggest biggest record in Christian music. Uh, so, you know, and that, that began a whole new direction for me. I moved into a hermitage. I thought I was completely done, moved into a little hermitage in the woods, thought I would read and study and be under direction for 10 or so years. And I was toying around with uh, the Psalms. So uh, I set them to music very quietly, totally different than the Lord's Supper. I went back to the record company. I said, do you think I, you'd want to do another one? And they said, sure. So I played it for them, and they said, oh, this is terrible. I said, terrible? What's wrong with it? They said, there's too much space in it. There's, you know, Americans won't like this quiet stuff. I said, well, you just had a big hit. Put it out. Let's see what it does. So they put it out. Six months later, I get a call from the record company. They said, it sold three times more than the Lord's Supper. So I've been very fortunate when I gave music up complete, when I gave up my agenda for what my Christianity was supposed to be, uh, God surprised me. It really happened in three levels there. First, I gave up my music and my secular life, and I was surprised by Jesus. Then I gave up my agenda for how I was living the, the, the Christian life, and God surprised me with the Catholic Church. Uh, I gave up the way I was doing Christian music, where I was kind of just taking secular styles and putting Jesus lyrics to it. I gave that up. I thought I'd never make music again. And God surprised me with more success than I would have ever had otherwise. And, uh, you know, so that's kind of the, the long and short of my, my music thing. Well, that's kind of the beginning of, of your music. You know, I, I went to Baylor University. I was a Catholic uh in Waco, Texas, I moved in my senior year. I was a surfer in Santa Cruz and ended up in the heart of Texas. But the fortunate thing was that's where Billy Ray was, wasn't he? He was there with Word Records and Billy Ray was there with Word yeah, Records. I remember yeah. I used to I used to when he was coming and coming in and out of Waco, I remember I worked at the airport for a small little airlines there and I would put his luggage on the plane. And I remember when he started Sparrow Records. But we had some of the great we had second chapter of Acts and and uh, we had so many different musicians come through. By the way, was uh, was Daryl Mansfield part of that that uh, first generation, or was he a second generation? Uh, oh, that's first generation, but I never met him. Well, you know, he when you if you ever listen to our show, he's the he is the music for our show. 
We oh, love cool. yeah. We have we love Daryl Mansfield. Uh, he calls himself a musicianary, and of course, uh, Melody and Keith Green. I guess you say were like second generation. I remember when Keith Green came out with that one album that was. Well, he talked. He was very anti-Catholic, and then right towards the end, his uh, his last album was all praise. And just before it came out, I believe he wrote a letter, uh, really asking for forgiveness uh, about his anti-Catholic rhetoric. You know, you said yeah. earlier about Christian unity, uh, and speaking of your book, you know, when I wrote my book, Deep in the Wave, I was at a monastery up in uh, the north shore of Oahu, Pecos uh, Benedictine Monastery in New Mexico, had. Planted that it was a charismatic monastery in, in New Mexico. Maybe you're yeah, I just did a long retreat there. Oh, I love the people uh, there. Yeah. I just ended, uh, and they're 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 kind of experiencing charismatic rebirth. Oh, that that's great. But I remember being, you know, then you know that you know. Oh, let me ask you this one question: In the main area, they do they still have those those leather chairs that rock? They're kind of like cowboy leather chairs that. Oh yeah. I loved yeah. those chairs. Everybody kind of praised yeah. the Lord. And those chairs are rocking, and we had big youth. Uh, movement uh, there and that's actually where I met my my wife, my uh, my ex-wife now I cool. should say cool. but I remember picking up that book the philokalia uh it was uh, my first right. exposure to the early church fathers but I you know I I kind of drifted away a lot. I I wasn't fortunate enough to be catechized well enough and drifted away from the catholic church for a while but it was by finding the early church fathers that I came back and when I was at the benedictine monastery in the north shore of Oahu I was writing uh, my book, Deep in the Wave. The Lord, just clear as could be when I was on retreat up there, said, follow the ancient path. And that's right. the name of this book. And people are attracted to that, that sense of what is the ancient, you know, but they think it's going to be like Eastern religion or something Confucius said. But you go back to the writings of the early church fathers. That's the trunk of the tree. That's where we where we can all find our unity. And you mentioned earlier the Didache, you know, that was rediscovered, I think, just a couple hundred years ago by a monk looking through some Yeah, it was in the 1800s. But that, can, can, you, um, can we kind of start our story there? Because I think if Martin Luther maybe had read that, maybe he wouldn't have, uh, maybe wouldn't have had that division, you know, 500 years ago. But can you talk about what that is and, and some of the high points of what the Didache uh, talks about? Oh, my, the Didache uh, is is the teaching of the Twelve Apostles. It's basically a church manual. Uh, most scholars today believe that the first part of the book is a Christianized version of a Jewish uh, kind of a church manual, and something that might have even come from uh, the Essenes. And so it was Christianized, and what it basically does is it, it shows how, it talks about the two ways, the, the way of, of light and the way of darkness. Not, not unlike the Dead Sea Scrolls. Um, but in, in that, the way of light is living the Beatitudes, and it shows how you live the Sermon on the Mount. Uh, the, and then it goes into things like liturgy and, and sacrament, one of the earliest uh, uh, anaphoras or Eucharistic prayers is, is found in the, in the Didache, you know. So it's, it's a beautiful setting, but what these books show us there uh, is that the Scripture indeed comes out of a living experience of the early Church. Well, let's take a break and, here, John Michael. So we we got to make a hard break here, and we'll come back and talk more about that. I just kind of yeah, wanted to introduce that concept. I was going to gently say, 
and that's where we could pick it yeah, up. Yeah, it's a good place to pick it up. You know, if you want to see a lion, you don't go to a zoo. You look at the lion. You try to go to Africa, see it in its habitat. If you want to see what the primitive church was like, read the early church fathers. You can see the life, uh, uh, the, the lion, the young lion of the church in action. We'll be right back with John Michael Talbot. And John Michael, can just before we break, what's your uh, Facebook? Can they find you at John Michael Talbot on Facebook? Yeah, you go not to my personal page, but to my public uh, figure page. Just go to John Michael Talbot in Facebook. You know, we have 70,000 or some odd likes. I have a, a gospel reflection, two minutes, that goes out every day, reaches 15,000, 20,000 people every day. So join the conversation, man. We're having a blast. With it. Okay, we'll be right back with more of John Michael Talbot. Deep Adventure Radio, going deeper into the heart of God. EWTN is now on Twitter. Get short, timely messages from EWTN on your computer or cell phone. It's easy to stay up to date on a wide variety of topics. Pro-life news, Vatican announcements, catechesis, apologetics, the latest EWTN programming, and more. You can link to EWTN on Twitter from our homepage or go to twitter.com slash EWTN. At work, at home, at school, and on the road. Stay connected to your world with EWTN's Twitter page. You're listening to Deep Adventure Radio with Bear Wozniak, the boldest hour of radio in the history of the world. Be courageous and take your relationship with God to the next level. Check out our website at deepadventure.com. You can sign up for fellow adventurer Bear's weekly email. Go deeper in faith with Deep Virtue Blog. Order Bear's book, Deep in the Wave, A Surfing Guide to the Soul, and follow Bear as he takes you on a radical adventure through calm tides, monster waves, and the powerful presence of God. At deepadventure.com, you can journey with Bear on his travels, find out how to bring him to your parish or men's conference, and accept the challenge of an intimate relationship with God. Tackle the deepest part of yourself by signing up for our Deep Adventure Quest Retreats. The most radical thing you can do is abandon yourself to the wild adventure of God's will. Find out more at deepadventure.com. For a complete list of the EWTN Global Catholic Radio Network AM and FM stations across America, go to EWTN.com, look for the radio pull-down menu, and select AM FM stations. The list is updated regularly, so visit often. Again, go to EWTN.com, look for the radio pull-down menu, and select AM FM stations. Also at EWTN.com, you'll find out how to listen to us on the web, on shortwave, and in some countries on satellite. You'll find it all on EWTN.com. Deep Virtue with Bear Wozniak. Aloha, this is Bear Wozniak from DeepAdventure.com with Deep Virtue number 66. I don't know how many of you out there have uh, got your private pilot license, but one of the first things they do, I mean, within the first two or three flights, I don't know if they're using it to separate the men from the boys or, or, or what, but they take you out and they teach you how to do a stall. In other words, you're flying in the plane, it's doing, you're doing just great, you're like, uh, you know, tense as can be. You're hanging on too hard to the, you know, to the throttle and everything. And then they say, okay, just raise this nose up and put it to full throttle and let's take this puppy up until it stalls and starts to fall back down. 
So you're going up and up and up and up, and you start hearing uh, you start hearing the engine screaming louder. You 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 feel yourself slowing down, and there's this high kind of whistling sound uh, that is screaming at you, saying, "This isn't good. This is a me- this is an alarm. You're about to go into a stall." And then all of a sudden, the plane stalls, and, and your engine, which of course is the heaviest part of the plane, just drops, and you're in free fall. Your engine is just dr- hurtling towards earth. And then the instructor says, "Put it." You know, to full throttle, go as fast as you can. And what that does is it accelerates you enough uh, so that you'll come out of the stall. The lesson is that an airplane wants to fly. And an airplane is made to fly. Even in a stall, it wants to come out of that stall and it wants to fly. You're an airplane. God has given you a spirit. God's given you a heart that's meant to soar, that's meant to fly. If you feel yourself in a stall, put your nose down. Get a little bit humble. And just focus on the Lord and just say, Lord, not by might, not by strength, but by your spirit. I give all I am to you. You're meant to fly. Your problems shouldn't be holding you down. Get humble before the Lord. This is Bear Wozniak from DeepAdventure.com. Deep Virtue with Bear Wozniak. Find out more at DeepAdventure.com. Back to Deep Adventure Radio with Bear Wozniak. Suffering in paradise for you. Aloha. Welcome back to Deep Adventure Radio. I have as my guest John Michael Talbot, musicianary. He's a, he's a musician, uh, started out uh, serving the Lord with, in the Jesus People Movement and went through a process of just wanting to seek the truth and wanting to go deep. He went right down to the roots, uh, to the early church fathers. And uh, in spite of himself, as St. Augustine described it, the slippery slope, he found himself uh, becoming a Catholic in spite of himself. And so, John Michael, can you kind of Pick, pick us up where we left off. As you begin to, you met your uh, spiritual director, I believe his name was Father Martin, the Franciscan. Yes. And you began, you began to find the early church fathers. And, and, and you were, yeah, I believe- well, essentially, when I, when I was, I was attracted to St. Francis and the monastic tradition because that was a radical countercultural lifestyle, uh, both today and also in the, in the early church as it was developing. And when I went to Father Martin, he says, well, I want you to go read uh, The Development of Christian Doctrine by John Henry Newman and then come back and we'll talk. So I read it. Of course, I didn't understand most of it, but I read through it. But it got me into this notion that you need to have three things. Scripture, so sacred scripture, apostolic tradition that's really there in the early church fathers, and then the church authority or the magisterium. And it's like three legs that will allow the the milk stool to stand. So uh, those three things are very important. So I started really reading the early church fathers. The big point is, you know, the scriptures come out of a church, and if you want to find out what some of the debatable passages of scripture really mean and how we can live them today, you got to go back to the early church through which they came, and you begin to see, uh, oh, it's not, it's not a... Uh, homogenous presentation of the church it was very diverse but there are some some clear universal things that are that are present uh the other thing you discover is is the early church was messy you know the church fathers that people think that they are some kind of uniform presentation of the church no it was very messy uh, most of these guys were church leaders they were either teachers or they were bishops in a lot of cases and they were writing on the fly. They were leading their local flock. 
They were encountering issues uh, within the secular world from persecution from outside and also issues inside the church, and they were writing mainly homilies to address the issues that, that faced them. You know, you, ha- you have some later in the 7th and 8th centuries who even had to address how do you live with Muslims? I think that's a very, very timely topic. Yet Augustine, who, who, when he became bishop, you know, northern Africa was split between Arians, who didn't believe fully in the deity of Christ, and Manichaeans, who believed the spirit was good, but the flesh was evil. So Augustine had to consult, he had to preach and teach patiently, but strongly, and bring real Christianity to northern Africa, consolidate that, and he saw the, the church grow and prosper And then the barbarians came over from Italy, and they attacked uh, churches. They burned them. They they imprisoned and beat and killed clergy. Uh, They confiscated property. So at the end of Augustine's life, he began to see that that church that he had built and consolidated uh, with his wonderful renewal, it began to fall apart. Well, that teaches us a lot there about the stages of our life and the ebbs and flows of cultures and how Christians exist in them. So they were, they were, uh, we think of them in their golden, you know, golden threaded vestments and whatnot, but they were probably much more like dirty and, you know, tattered and torn monastic habits. Well, yeah, <laughs> they... the desert sands of the Middle East. So it, it's very, it's very much alive and it's very real. Uh, and it and it really shows us how we are going to be, how we can bring Jesus in the midst of our messy world today, because we live in a messy world. We're in the post-Christian era in the West, and and uh, we are now marginalized and demonized. Well, guess what? The Church has been through that before, and the Church Fathers are a great example of how uh, how to live the Christian life in a way that is fully Catholic, universal, and full. So... That's the first thing I would say about the Church Fathers. Uh, if you expect to go in there and find some kind of cookie-cutter Catholicism, you're going to be disappointed. Um, but, the, but the primary elements are there. Here's some things that are clearly in the early Church that you see. A complete focus on that personal encounter with Jesus Christ. It's very clear in the Didache. Uh, it's clear in Clement of Rome. It's very clear in Ignatius of Antioch. And these are the earliest writings that we have. Uh, Clement of Rome, as I said before, teaches us how to live with the attitudes, but it's got some practical advice, stuff like when you give to the poor, you're supposed to be very generous. You're not supposed to be materialistic or consumeristic, but you're supposed to give to the poor, but you let the coin cause your hand to sweat. In other words, you, you wait for the right time and the right way to help a person in need. A good modern example would be you don't give money to a drug. You know, they're going to spend it on booze. You don't give money to a drug addict. They're going to spend it on drugs. Uh, you give them things that are really going to help them. The other thing in the Didache is is teaching that abortion is murder. You know, uh, the abuse of boys is something that was clearly anathema in the early church. So those things are right there from the get-go. Um, so very cool. Clement, Clement of Rome... He teaches us about apostolic succession. He teaches us about baptism. He also about about the Eucharist. Uh, but the biggest thing from Clement of Rome, this guy had an encyclopedic memory and knowledge of Scripture, 
of the Old Testament. The thing is just, it's like wave after wave, chapter after chapter of these these amazing lessons that just come from his, his capacity. So he was a man immersed in Scripture. Ignatius of Antioch, you know, with his seven letters, teaches us about unity in the Church. And he's the first one to mention the threefold leadership of bishop, presbyter, or priest, and the diaconus, or the, the deacon, those three clerical uh, levels that, and he says, without these things, the Church is not the Church. So, uh, and, and let there be one altar, one Eucharist, you know, do nothing if you're not in union with the bishop. But he doesn't invent these things and then project them onto the church to bring unity. He simply observes that this is the structure of the church that, that he experiences. And, uh, you know, Clement of Rome does a very similar thing. Those Corinthians, he writes a letter to the Corinthians, and they had kicked out a bishop because... Uh, they didn't like him, and it was a bunch of young, kind of a bunch of young whippersnappers that that, that got rid of the bishop. So uh, these things are mentioned not as an artificial invention of the early church, but simply as, hey, here's what we got, here's what we do, here's the issues we're facing, and here's how we can here's how we can meet these issues with real answers and keep the church united, keep the church alive. So I think it's just all extraordinarily cool, bear. <laughs> it is. I mean, when I, I remember, I read uh, my father is a deacon, by the way, in the Catholic Church, and yeah. he and I and I'd left the church to go deeper with God, right? And uh, and right. I started feeling like, is that all there is? You know, because I, I, you know, I just wanted to go deeper, and I just kind of started hearing the same sermon every Sunday. It seemed like, although that's maybe yeah. not a fair characteristic caricature, but he sent me the book by Stephen Ray. You know which one I'm talking about? Crossing the Tiber. And, oh yeah, oh. that's a guy like Stephen. He's a nice guy. And uh, and I um. And he had me reading the Liturgy of the Hours, you know, but I'd always skip that last part because back in those days you had to flip the pages back and forth. So I never read uh, the the back of the Office of Readings where a lot of the early church fathers and the doctors Ooh, of the faith that's are. that's the gold mine. That's buddy. the gold mine. That's, the, that's that glittering vein in the cave, you know, just the, the mother load was there. But when I found the early church fathers, I, I was just like you. I found Clement of Rome. And I go, wait a minute, he's writing like to the Corinthians, the same people Paul had a problem with, and, and he's writing to them like a father. I mean, he's turns out he's like, the, I think, the third uh, bishop of Rome. You know, he had a, he had yeah, an authority. Correct. He had a fatherly, yeah, fatherly-like authority uh, that he was using even then. So the early church fathers, tell, tell us what you mean by the word father when we think about them as a father. We just got a, a, a minute or so before we break, but can you give yeah, that to us? Yeah, father, you know, Jesus says, call no man father, but then Paul calls himself a father to the churches, both a mother and a father. Jesus says, call no man teacher, but teaching is one of the gifts of the Spirit that's listed in the New Testament. So Jesus doesn't mean that you're not supposed to have earthly fathers. You do. We all have earthly fathers and also spiritual fathers. But Jesus shows us that God is our primary father. So a spiritual father basically walks with you, walks with you as a companion uh, along the way and says, hey, watch out, there's a, there's a drop-off on this side of the path, and oh, by the way, there's a landmine over there, you, oh, oh, and there's some thorns and thistles. So there are people that have walked this path before us and come back and help us take the same journey. So spiritual 
fatherhood is not about lording it over people. It's about accompaniment, accompanying people. And Pope Francis has been very big on this. It's beautiful. So that let's we're... come back and talk about, you know, there's stuff like the Eucharist and, and Mary and cool stuff. So well, we'll... I'm looking forward to coming back and talking to you about those things. Okay, we'll be right back uh, with John Michael Talbot. This is Bear Wozniak with Deep Adventure Radio. Deep Adventure Radio, going deeper into the heart of God. Deep Adventure Radio has challenged you to accept the wild adventure of God's will. Now, go even deeper with Bear's best-selling book, Deep in the Wave, A Surfing Guide to the Soul. In story after story, Bear takes us along as he paddles deep, surfing alongside whales and dolphins and avoiding killer sharks. Bear shares his experiences of the ocean in an intimate and exciting way. We share in his pain, healing through God, and the joy of finding that deep, intimate relationship with Him. As the story unfolds, you'll see how surfing has become the metaphor for the journey toward intimacy with God. Deep in the Wave, a surfing guide to the soul, will stir your own desire to go deeper into your faith. Order it today at deepadventure.com for your own faith journey or for someone who needs to go deeper. Deep in the Wave, a surfing guide to the soul by Bear Wozniak. Available at deepadventure.com. Wax up your boards. Let's paddle in for another wave of Deep Adventure Radio. Aloha. Welcome back to Deep Adventure Radio. Uh, We have our guest, John Michael Talbot, as our adventure guide. He's written a book that I love. Uh, It's called The Ancient Path. It's it's talking about the lessons we can learn from the early church fathers. They are the common uh, trunk of the tree that we can all go back to. They're the key to Christian unity. If you want to see what the young roaring lion of the church was like, go back, you know, go see it in its natural habitat. These early church fathers, so much of their writing was just fighting against uh, heresy and schism. And they kept pointing to the Eucharist. They kept pointing to uh, the the hierarchical authority of the church. They they pointed to uh, to doctrine, and so they're just they're just it's just the richest motherlode I think any Christian can visit. And uh, and I'm so thrilled with your book, uh, John Michael. Share with us a little bit more uh, what we can what can we learn about the about the Eucharist, for example, in the early church fathers. Well, you know, you find some things. There's some things that the early church clearly believed. They clearly believed that the Eucharist was the body and blood of Christ. Um, and interestingly enough, evangelicals that discover the early church fathers admit this. You know, I go to, I was just at Duke University with, with Methodist scholars at, at the Divinity School. Well, they're not afraid to call the Lord's Supper the Eucharist. And, and they were, you know, there's just an awakening going on among non-Catholics about these things. But the reason, you know, Mary, the Eucharist, these things are, uh, the, the Church as the body of Christ, these things are all focused and brought together in the notion of incarnation. So, for instance, let's go to Mary first. Mary, she, we grew in our appreciation of Mary as we grew and developed in our understanding of the incarnation. Now, the incarnation didn't grow. But our understanding of who Jesus was grew. We developed and are still developing today. Uh, it's a bottomless well, of a deep, deep well. 
So first it's Ignatius of Antioch uh, you know, with the Eucharist. He's fighting uh, in his letter to the Smyrnans, he's, he's fighting against folks that are called docetists. Docetism comes from a word that means seems like, and they believe that Jesus was divine but only seemed human. So they abstained from the Eucharist because the, the early church believed that the Eucharist was the body and blood of Christ, that Jesus was fully present uh, in the Eucharist. We didn't understand how. We didn't have a name like transubstantiation. That all came later. But we believed it was the body and blood of Christ. So they abstained because they didn't believe Jesus had a body. And they didn't believe he had blood. See? So it didn't make any sense to receive the body and blood of Christ in the Eucharist if you didn't believe he had a body and you didn't believe he had blood. But by virtue of saying that, John Michael, it's saying that everyone else did believe it was. Yeah, well... By contrast... I, I mean, there were... It wasn't, it wasn't, there was no golden era there. There really wasn't. The divisions that we have now also existed in the early church, but there's this thread that that the early church fathers, they said, if you want to know what Jesus taught, talk to the people who succeeded the apostles who were taught directly by Jesus. You know, it's not unlike the Buddhist notion that you can't get you can't get information from a book. You've got to have instruction that is face-to-face. So apostolic succession is the notion that, that the living authority, the living spiritual teaching, is handed on face-to-face, person-to-person, you know, by the laying on of hands. So, uh, you know, you can't just go back and read the Bible out of that context. So the early church believed very strongly that the Eucharist was the body and blood of Christ. It was all about bringing the Incarnation from, in their case, 100 years ago or 200 years ago, uh, bringing the, and in our case, 2,000 years ago, bringing the fullness of the Incarnation, his birth, his teachings, his miracles, his dying on a cross, his resurrection from the dead, his ascension, and his gift to the Spirit, bringing all of that, not not as an idea of something that happened only 2,000 years ago, but bringing it into the now, so that that incarnation is fully present, and, and it is personal. It's not just for the big bad church. It's not an idea. It's not a philosophy. Jesus is really present in this Eucharist for me, for you. He is here. And... and so consequently, you know, they believed this. They believed this. So the Eucharistic prayers were so beautiful, and the whole notion that you you have the epiclesis, the calling down of the Spirit, and and the institution narrative, the saying again the, what Jesus said and what was passed on to us. For instance, we see evidence of it in in First Corinthians eleven. So uh, that th- that is a is a magical time. It's a, it's a mystical time. It's a time when Jesus is fully present. And so Mary, likewise, was overshadowed by the Spirit. The Word was conceived in her, and then she gave birth to Jesus. See? So as we grew in our understanding of the Incarnation, we said, hey, this lady, she was pretty cool, <laughs> you know, this lady was a holy vessel. So you see guys like Irenaeus coming up with language that even as uh, 
the knot was tied through through Eve's disobedience. The knot is untied through Mary's obedience. See, so she becomes the new Eve. Jesus is the new Adam. It's called recapitulation. That God becomes man, as Saint Athanasius would say. God becomes man so that man might become God. That goes back to the letters of Peter, that we become sharers in his divine nature. Now, that doesn't give you permission to go around acting like you're God. we got enough of that already. <laughs> right. What it gives us, but what it does is you have to rediscover that divine gift in your life to become fully human again. Most of us are walking around only partially human because we've lost that divine spark in our life. It's gone to sleep. So as Pope Francis says, to be fully human, you've got to become more than human. How cool is that? Yeah, you know, God made us uh, God made us not like the animals. He breathed into us his living, his breath, and we became a living soul. And you can't be fully human without that breath of the Holy Spirit at work in you. Um, yeah, it's interesting that the, that the early church fathers and the Eastern fathers in particular say that we have to become natural again, that through sin, the word sin is hamartia, it means to get off the path, to get lost in the weeds, that through sin, we become less than human, and, and the divine gifts brings us into full humanity again, and brings us from an unnatural life to a truly natural life. So these are just some of the things we touch on in the book, you know, um, they're so rich, and and the, and the book is only meant for to dip your big toe into the pool. There's so many great other things to read. Read Benedict the Sixteenth's treatment on the fathers. He does a whole series. It's a great entrance level read. Uh, and then go on to something like, uh, you know, the Faith of the Early Fathers by William Jurgens. It gets a little bit more doctrinal, and then you can get into the full text. You can go to the Ancient Christian Writer Text series. Uh, or go to the Catholic yeah. University text. Read them. All these things are Read available. Them, it'll enrich your life. It'll it'll show you how to live Scripture in uh, now by discovering how <clears throat> the early Church lived the Christian life in there now, and how the Scriptures came out of that experience. We've been talking with John Michael Talbot. Uh, thank you so much for joining us. You can find him. At his website, ministry at johnmichaeltalbot.com, is that right? Or minist- is that correct? That, yeah, go to John, www.johnmichaeltalbot.com. You can go to my Facebook page. Hey, listen, I've got the All Things Are Possible TV show. It's going out to half a billion people three times a week. We're in the top third of the ratings. We're doing great. Watch the show. Come join us at a ministry event. We go all across the United States, 150 events every year. Come wow. join us. Okay, my brother. Aloha, John Michael. Thank you so much for joining us. Aloha to you, brother. I love you. I love you, too. We'll be right back with more Deep Adventure Radio. This is Matt Swaim from the Sunrise Morning Show, and I love soaking up Deep Adventure Radio with Bear Wozniak on EWTN. Surf's Up, real and radical ways to live your faith. Aloha. This is Bear Wozniak with DeepAdventure.com. We have... Aubrey Marcus, the CEO of Onnit, and the, one of the products that I love uh, uh, that Onnit has is, is their melatonin product. I've used some of them. I've used Sleep Helps when I've traveled, and it just keeps me awake. Some of them, and the others, others of them keep me too asleep when I when I try to wake up the next day. But the melatonin that you're using, what is it that makes it so special, Aubrey? Well, 
melatonin is a hormone that's naturally produced by the body, and it's produced to signify darkness, to signify it's time to sleep. The problem is that we have so much, and it actually functions based on light. The problem is we have so much artificial light, we're always on our computers, and we're always traveling different hours of the day and night, and our schedules aren't in line with the Earth anymore. So using light as a cue isn't always effective. So the melatonin production gets out of whack. And without adequate melatonin production, it's very difficult to sleep. So melatonin is one of the safest and most effective sleep aids that are available. And it's not something you should try to use every single day. Um, but if you did have to use it every day, you know, melatonin is the best option over any of these other pharmaceuticals because you are getting genuine sleep and you're utilizing something that is natural and endogenous to the body anyways. And it's just going to kind of nudge the body to let it know, hey, you know, it's time for bed, it's time for rest, let's get some sleep. And uh, we put it in a chewable form so it hits you a little bit quicker and, um, you know, one of those restless nights can turn into a good night's sleep uh, safely and effectively. And every athlete knows uh, sleep is one of the biggest uh, things you can do for as an athlete, one of the most important things that you can do. And so I know that's true for everyone in life. Aubrey Marcus of On It, you can go to our website, deepadventure.com, click on the On It link and, and go discover all their other great products. Thank you, Aubrey. Surf's up. Go deep or go home. Now, back to Paradise and Deep Adventure Radio. Aloha. It was great having Michael, John Michael Talbot with us on our show today. And I just was really uh, blessed to see how far God has taken him because I remember when he was actually singing country. They called it, I think, cross-country or country rock. And, uh, and then I heard he had become a Christian, and then I heard he'd become a Catholic, and then I heard he'd become a monk, and then I heard he had be developed a, a community, an integrated community of men and women and families who are just dedicated to just uh, separating themselves a little bit more from the world and just spending life in prayer and, and in solitude. So really thrilled to have John Michael on our show. God to invite you guys. Please help us. Our ministry, you know, is 100% dependent on on your help. If you can go to your to our website, deepadventure.com, you can click there and, and you can uh, donate. You can also click there, contact us. You can write an email to me. Let me know uh, if you'd like for me to come speak to one of your, your groups. I love to do that. I love to come and actually get out there behind this microphone and get to know the people that are watching us. Invite me to one of your men's conferences or invite me to lead a Deep Adventure Quest retreat in your area. Uh, we'd love to do that. So... Go to our website, and you can also subscribe to our newsletter. You can subscribe to our social media. We send you out our Deep Virtue uh, segments and our whole show, so you can share that on social media. People can listen to the whole one-hour show just by posting it to Facebook. Until next week, this is Bear Wozniak with Deep Adventure Radio. May the breath of the Holy Spirit aloha you. Aloha! This is Deep Adventure Radio. Hear archived shows, buy Bear's book, Deep in the Wave, A Surfing Guide to the Soul, and sign up for our Wave of the Week email at deepadventure.com. For the latest news on Bear and Deep Adventure, visit us on Facebook and share Deep Adventure with your friends. The most radical thing you can do in life is abandon yourself to the wild adventure of God's will. Deep Adventure Radio.